You're listening to From the Clubhouse, a National Club Golfer podcast. Independent golfers, nomads, non-members, how to cater for the player that doesn't necessarily want to be attached to a golf club has been one of the sport's hot topics over the past few months. A scheme to offer official handicaps to such players in England has been controversial, but the RNA's desire has been consistent to make golf more inclusive and as accessible to people as possible. Scottish Golf have now announced their independent golfer offering and the governing body believes their scheme will open up avenues of participation while still protecting the foundation of the game, club membership. To talk about their project and to try and address some of the concerns, I'm joined this week on the From the Clubhouse podcast by Martin Hopley, Scottish Golf's Head of Digital. Martin Hopley, welcome to the From the Clubhouse podcast. Hi, Steve. Thank you for having me. So Scottish Golf are launching an independent golfer scheme. Just tell me a little bit about the background behind that scheme and why the governing body's doing it. Well, in common with most governing bodies uh, around the world, you know, the opportunity to run these schemes was created by the World Handicapping System, which uh, where we are is run by the RNA. So what they were trying to do is to create, you know, a more open and more inclusive sport. And that is something something we've taken on board. It's certainly something we've had in the plans for a number of years, and a lot of things we've been doing have been built around it. The idea really is to allow golfers to get a handicap direct from us. Uh, it's going to be very flexible. It's going to be six pounds a month, so it's kind of going to suit the modern lifestyle, if you like, and it'll be run through an app. And from that, they'll be able to put in their scores, get the handicap, and go out and enjoy their golf. So who is this scheme particularly targeting then? What sort of players do you think would benefit from it? Well, this is quite interesting. I think a lot of people have in their mind's eye what type of golfer that it is. Uh, We've been doing a lot of research on this, both uh, domestically and internationally. And the type of golfers that these independent golfers are is people are playing about five to 15 times a year. The vast majority, and I'm thinking up to about 80 percent, don't particularly want to play in competitions. Um, They are people who like the flexibility of uh, not being tied down to one particular course and playing in different places. And the reason they really want a handicap is just to benchmark their own games and also to, you know, turn up on maybe social games or society games and, and be able to give and receive strokes as anybody else would in a normal game of golf. Yeah, I think that's one of the key points of contention um, with these kind of schemes and perhaps where um, a little bit more education maybe is needed. There, there is this uh, idea, I think, that independent golfers are suddenly going to start flooding competitions. Are you saying that the research you've done shows that that may may not be the case? Uh, That's not our understanding. I mean, certainly uh, if clubs wish to engage with them and invite them into the competitions or if they wish to play in open competitions, then that is uh, one of the things that they can do. These are people who, who may have been members of a golf club in the past or who have never been a member of a golf club. And so really by having a handicap, it kind of brings them in, into the fold, if you like, so that they are feeling you know, a bit more included within the game. Uh, certainly, we've seen a lot of golfers, uh, for whatever reason, either leaving a club for time or financial reasons, and then, you know, the handicap falls away. And even there are people who are members of a club, don't have the time 
to to play in competition. So you know, having this sort of flexibility to get a handicap and to you know and play the game in an inclusive way is what we're aiming at. Yeah, I think we'll get into some of the concerns that people might have about uh, in, independent golfer schemes and, and obviously give you the opportunity to um, to allay some of those. But let's go back to Genesis, if we can. And um, just tell me how the scheme is going to work. Well, the way it's going to work is it's very straightforward. Uh, people can register on our app or our website and they just sign up. It's £6 a month. And once they've signed up, they just obtain a handicap in the same way that club members do, which means they've got to put in 54 holes, which is equivalent, of course, to three rounds or, or six, nine holes scores. And then from that, they get their initial handicap. And thereafter, they just submit scores either through general play, which again is done through the app, or through competitions if they wish to do that, uh, to submit scores for the handicap in exactly the same way that anybody else does. Yeah. Why do you think that independent golfers require an official handicap why, why does someone who may only be playing five times a year need an official mark i mean there's always been um other alternatives in the past unofficial handicaps through various schemes you know why are you sort of stepping into this breach now well it's not so much stepping into breach i mean it's something that's allowed under whs i think what uh, is different between this and maybe some other schemes that have existed in the past is that this is calculated on the same basis as club members is so it's going to be uh, more accurate than other schemes uh, as you probably know there's there's quite a lot of algorithms behind it how you work out a handicap so it's going to be calculated on the same basis as everybody else so therefore it's going to be more representative of the demonstrated ability is the is the correct technical phrase for this and i think it is to you know there is potentially situations for independent golfers where you know they might turn up on a tee and they're playing with people who have a handicap and they say well what are you going to play off today? And he goes, well, I kind of play to around about a 10. So that might work out great, or it might work out that he wins by miles, or he might end up lose by miles. Either way, it's not a particularly enjoyable experience for that person, or it maybe creates a sense of awkwardness. So by having a handicap, you you are going to create that set of inclusivity for people, um, particularly, you know, I know people who have not turned up to play golf because they don't have a handicap and they're playing with good people who are. And we also feel that it could be more beneficial for including particularly female golfers who maybe have felt that going along to a golf club or even if they are members, go along and play in a competition might feel a little bit intimidating. The fact that they can get a handicap independent of of all that and to then put scores in, as I say, when they feel like it through general play will hopefully increase the number of female golfers. And that in turn will lead to membership because at the end of the day, all this is actually there to create this pathway into membership yeah we've had this backdrop haven't we over the last decade or so of a consistent decline in membership at scottish golf clubs i think figures that that you guys have produced is is around five thousand a year i mean obviously the pandemic has reversed that to some extent because there's been um, renewed enthusiasm for golf as one of the few socially distant sports that you can do but can you give me a sense of the division between golf club membership and those players who are not members of a golf club Um, because obviously if there's a huge disparity there if there's far more members than non-members or or, or opposite then that could shape your strategy well certainly you're right i mean for the the 10 years prior to the pandemic year that we were losing about five thousand members a year and that's an awful lot of golfers who who've gone away and it's really having the opportunity to 
you know, re-engage with this audience because uh, they're obviously they're still playing golf to a large degree. Uh, and that's where these types of schemes could come in. In terms of the numbers, I mean, we have about 190,000 members of a golf club in Scotland at the moment. Uh, we reckon there's about half a million people who are playing golf uh, quite regularly. That's at five to 15 times a year or more. Uh, and so, you know, those golfers, it's a chance to get a lot of them back uh, within the game, as, as I say, in an, in an inclusive way, but also, you know, help contribute to the, the growth and the running of the game because any you know, any revenue we make off of this is actually going to be invested back into amateur golf, whether at club level or or through other means as well. Has the question of participation in golf then, um, to ask you a difficult question, being is it being considered the wrong way around? You know, we naturally focus, don't we, on golf clubs and membership, you know, as governing bodies, as as players, as media, we naturally focus on the people who are members of clubs. But what you're saying there is that actually the number of players far outweighs the number of members at golf clubs. So do you think then we need to look again at the model of participation and does this scheme do that? Yes, I, I think it does. I mean, clearly these people have left uh, over the years because for whatever reason, uh, the membership model hasn't quite suited them. Now, whether that's time or cost or whatever, they have left so it is a chance to sort of re-engage with this i mean it's interesting that you mentioned the number of people not member of a club but even within a golf club you know the data is showing us that uh, less than half of people have an active handicap within a golf club in, in as much as they put a score in the last three years so there's many reasons why people join a golf club the handicap is not really the main reason uh, there are many advantages of being a member of a club from having access to unlimited golf uh, practice facilities social facilities and all the other things that come with that and one of the things that the pandemic has shown is the the social and, and physical and, and mental health benefits of, of being part of a club and, and playing golf regularly so all these things come into the equation as to whether people are members or not we have our country and a, a sport with a very long heritage and you know over that time we've adapted to uh, changes in society and changes in technology and this is just another one of those things you know the the modern the younger generation are coming through they like flexibility they're used to the subscription model uh, on they're used to using technology and phones uh, and this is certainly going to appeal to that and you know we based all of our decisions on research and data that we've seen around the world and uh, one of the countries that's uh, done this recently is new zealand and they found that of all the people that signed up to the scheme 20% uh, went on to be join a club in that year. Well, what really stood out for me was that the average age of the people joining this was 43, 20 years younger than the average age of being a club member. So this shows that these types of things are there to engage with younger golfers, golfers who are maybe uh, at work or maybe have young families, or for whatever reason are having to maybe step back from playing as much as they used to when they were younger, and hopefully they're going to come back when they're older. So it's just like engaging with them in that process as they go through. Well, let's move to some of the concerns that um, abound, really, um, about independent golfer schemes. I mean, the one I hear the most um, from clubs, from managers, um, from organisations is that an independent golfer scheme will drive members away from golf clubs. That, you know, that it's a cheaper alternative to membership. And if you allow 
everyone to have a handicap, then there's no need for them to be a member of a golf club. So, I mean, what would you say to that? That is a real concern for a lot of golf clubs. When I speak to managers about this, often what they say is, well, this is, this is just going to drive people away. Well, we've heard these concerns too. And, and we would say that we, we don't really agree that that is the case. Um, there's a couple of sides to this. Certainly, well, we are aware of these concerns and we, we have addressed them in a couple of ways. One, we, we're not launching this until the summer months. So we're giving everybody a chance to renew their members for this year. Uh, and secondly, we are going to put measures in place whereby nobody can leave a golf club and then join uh, this scheme straight away. They'd have to wait for at least a year. And our clubs are going to be in control of that uh, process and the duration of that. So effectively, we're giving them sort of 18 months to two years protection as it is. However, we strongly feel that this protection isn't really required. If clubs are concerned that people are going to leave to play cheap golf, then the issue really isn't with the concept of independent golfers. The issue is really about green fee levels. The research is showing us that independent golfers are playing five to 15 times a year. So if the membership decision point is such that it's more cost effective than to be a member than not a member when they're playing more than 15 rounds a year, then that creates a decision point at which people decide it's better to be a member of a golf club. If that decision point is higher than 15 rounds, like 20 or 30 rounds, the incentive to be a member is less. If clubs can get this membership decision point at the right level, then that is what is going to create the pathway into membership because it will be more commercially viable for people to be a member of a golf club. However, when it comes to green fee levels, this is completely in control of the clubs. It's not something we can control as a governing body, and it's certainly not something that we can get involved with. One of the things that um, I continually hear when these schemes are talked about is how they're going to be a pathway into club membership. I mean, explain to me how that's going to work, because presumably, you know, for an independent golfer, the reason they would engage with a scheme like like yours is because they don't want to be a member of a golf club. It doesn't suit them for some of the reasons that that you've outlined earlier. So, you know, if you're trying to promote this to a club as, you know, to engage with these players as a way to perhaps tempt them into membership. I mean, how is that going to do that, given the nature of that player? Certainly the, the evidence we've seen around the world is that it, this does uh, drive people back into membership. New Zealand is one. Uh, I mean, Holland have about a, a large number of these golfers as well. It's a slightly different model in that country too. I think what you'll find is that certainly by having a handicap, they are then seeing the benefits, maybe play more regularly. They might be seeing their performance improve and they might say, well, you know what? Maybe I'll, I'll play in an open competition. And then from there, well, you know what? Maybe I like to play in com competitions a bit more. Now, I, 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 and then that is going to be for that, you know, proportion of golfers for whom competitive golf might be an option. There are plenty who, who will not be down that route. So, you know, the idea that, uh, you know, these people would never ever join a golf club in the first place and they probably will continue to do that. So therefore that, that shouldn't really be an issue for them. But for those others, you know, we have seen that this, the data is showing us that it is this drive back towards membership. There's virtually no data showing that it's going the other way. And you can, clubs can really use this to take advantage of it because the moment there's, if you don't join a club, obviously not costing you anything. And then the membership fee, if you are joining, could be, well, it could be anything up to a thousand pounds or more. So by saying, well, why don't you get a handicap with this? And maybe we can offer you so many rounds for a fixed price. That almost creates a sort of halfway house and a, and a stepping stone to, to go, you know, engage with people and, and, and get them back into showing what the benefits of membership are. Because it's not really about a handicap. Um, it is about playing competitive golf. 
It is about unlimited gold for a fixed price. It is having the facilities, having practice facilities, having access to PGA Pro, having access to social events, you know, creating that social network. All these things clubs have so much, so many advantages uh, over, and, and that's what they're offering as, as a membership uh, package, if you like. That you know, that's what the decision is based on. It's not based on whether or not people have a handicap, as has been shown by the fact that half of the golfers in Scotland don't have one at the moment, and yet they're still being a member of a golf club. Yeah, well, let's look at it from the other side as well. I mean, we've been talking about independent golfers, which is not a great term, really. I mean, they, these are golfers ultimately. Um, they are players. Um, it, it, it feels it feels sort of strange to, um, to to call them anything else. They are golfers, so we'll we'll try and do that for the rest of this podcast, I think. Um, but let's look at it from. Um, the other side so we've talked about attracting these golfers into an independent golfer scheme let's say i'm a member of a golf club um i may not be playing a huge amount um i may be looking at your scheme um and looking at the price of it um and considering that that is really attractive for me um you know six pound a month uh, on average plus whatever green fees i want to play in a particular time i mean that that Feels, I can understand why some clubs would be concerned about that type of player emigrating to an independent golfer scheme. I mean, there are, are there protections in place within that scheme to sort of say to someone who is on the cusp of, you know, considering which is best for them to stay in club membership? Well, the, well, the protections for the clubs, as I mentioned earlier, are really in the fact that, you know, there is this cooling off period of a year when you leave. So if someone is going to leave, uh, they'd have to be, you know, there wouldn't be. Uh, able to quickly sign up for, you know, transfer the handicap over and suddenly start playing in open competitions. And I think it's, there's a lot of focus on this, but as I say, it all comes back to the cost of it. I mean, we have the majority of, we did a survey last year and the data was showing us that, you know, the majority of our golfers are playing, club members are playing over 50 rounds a year. And we have a third that are playing over a hundred times a year. So, I mean, if someone, if you work out what an average green fee is, even at, say, at, uh, at 25 pounds uh, times 50 rounds, the, it commercially doesn't make any sense to leave. So I, I think this focus on uh, the cost is not really the issue. It's more the other way around in that, you know, there is these um, independent golfers who, you know, we are not engaging with. Uh, and this is the future here of, of this younger audience who are more, uh, open to playing golf on, on in the way that they would like it in their own way uh, and they by having a handicap actually creates that inclusivity and brings them back in yeah let's finally uh, on this subject talk about uh, another concern that i hear prominently more from golf club members i would say than, than golf club staff and that is um the uh, integrity of competitions and how if clubs wanted to engage in uh, in giving uh, golfers who are not members of clubs the opportunity to play in competitions or open competitions, how they would keep the integrity of that system correct. Well, this is all in control of the clubs uh, for starters. Um, they are uh, obtaining a handicap and submitting scores in exactly the same way as club members do. So I, I think, you know, their integrity will be there in the same way that it is uh, for club members. Um, we, I'll probably go back to stressing my point again without laboring the point that the majority of these people won't be there to play competitive golf. Uh, they are there just to benchmark their own performance and, and have a handicap to play with their friends. For those that do, I mean, if, if the if situation was ever to arise, I think 
you know, clubs can treat them in the same way as they treat any other members who maybe have uh, done well on more than one occasion, shall we say, uh, in competitions. Uh, there is an important point, I think, on, on handicapping that I haven't touched upon yet, uh, which I'd like your opinion on. And there are, I mean, I can think of one very famous golf course in Scotland where you require a handicap certificate to play it. There are golfers uh, who at certain courses have been excluded who might be very proficient golfers, but have been excluded from playing certain courses because they don't have an official handicap. I think that's a very good point. Uh, and that is why, you know, that gives these golfers this option to to feel included. Because I guess if you turned up at a course and you're a single figure golfer, uh, and I know many in this in this case where they are then barred from playing that golf course, it doesn't seem they're not going to feel very included in the sport, really, is it? So I think that's, that's a good point. And it's certainly one of the, the benefits we think of, of having this. I mean, handicaps are really, you know, part of the game. Uh, I mean, if I was playing you, then we're going to be giving each other shots. So by just meaning that there's only 190,000 golfers in the country that can play golf on that basis, uh, you know, it doesn't seem particularly right. So by giving everybody the option to do that, it will create that inclusivity and show people, you know, what, you know, that format, not, not that format so much, but, you know, playing golf on that basis is, and that's really might lead them into club membership at the end of the day. So we've talked, Martin, a little bit about some of the concerns that clubs might have had and might have. I mean, let's talk about how golf clubs can benefit from uh, players who are not members and how they can engage with them for the betterment of their club. Well, certainly I think there's a few options. I think the key thing is obviously to get the membership fee structure and the green fee structure in the place where they're happy with it that's going to appeal to all these players. Uh, and certainly having maybe uh, a rate for general visitors, if I can call them that, or casual golfers, and then a rate for independent golfers, if we're still allowed to call them that, that would be the way to go. And then I would look at trying to engage with these golfers because at the end of the day, what this program will do will almost create like a, a, a sustainable long-term demand for regular tee times. So by offering them a package of number of rounds for a fixed price, that could be one way to go as well. And clubs could also potentially, as well as their regular open competitions, there's nothing stopping them running a competition that's purely uh, for these types of golfers who have a handicap. And that's those types of competitions are things that they can promote through the Scottish Golf app and through the Scottish a golf website as well uh, and then you know when you've got those people there at your course on that day it's a tremendous opportunity for you to promote what it is your club offers so there's obviously going to be a revenue implication here for uh, the governing body i mean uh, for every uh, golfer that you sign up to this scheme um, what's going to happen with that revenue because potentially you know depending on how popular it is it could be quite a lot of money uh, well, that, that's certainly the aim. And the aim is really to uh, generate revenue to put back into the game. And uh, whether that is uh, being able to uh, reduce affiliation fees, whether that's been able to provide more services to our member clubs, um, or even to provide uh, grants in certain ways. And that's the type of thing that we will do. We are a not-for-profit organization. We are a members organization and our members are the golf clubs. So we are there to you know, generate funds and, and grow uh, club membership and also grow participation in the game and that's what the money would be put towards this um these kind of proposals have had 
a rocky road to date for various reasons uh, across the UK that we that we don't need to go into here. But I mean, um, from a governing body perspective, finally, Martin, can you just tell me um, how positive that, that you guys are about the scheme and that the impact that you think it will make uh, to golf in Scotland? We are very positive about this scheme. We have been for a number of years. This is something we've been working on for a long time. Uh, the everything we've been doing is kind of been focused around this, uh, both with the BMS platform, you know, it's been built with this in mind. Uh, and it is really there to, to grow the membership. We would like to see the membership grow uh, and we'd like to see, you know, participation uh, increase as well. So we have uh, some, we're quietly confident that we think this will be successful and that it will meet its aims that we need. Certainly that's the feeling we get from the research that we've done over the years. Uh, this has been well thought through. Uh, there are sufficient protections in there for the clubs if they feel that they need it. Uh, but we don't feel that that is necessarily the case. We can actually see this has been a, a huge benefit for clubs and will hopefully uh, encourage more people to see the benefits of club membership and really hopefully making golf Scotland's game for everyone, which is our stated aim. Uh, and that's one we hope we'll be able to deliver on with this. And if there are golfers listening to this um, who haven't engaged with the scheme yet, who've just heard about it and want to do so, how can they get involved? The simplest way is uh, you can go to the Scottish Golf website. Uh, there's information there. But the best thing to do is actually to download the Scottish Golf app uh, to your phone and you can sign up and register straight away on the phone uh, and get going same day. Martin, thanks for joining me on the From the Clubhouse podcast. Thank you very much for having me on. 